0: As we begin this new year, we certainly do need God's help every hour. Not just for a moment or just for some particular kind of decision that has to be made, but every hour, all year long, all year. And We looked this morning into that section of Scripture that relates to us, helps us to remember some things about the early church when it first began. And they face the the task of their tomorrows uncertain, unsure. And we'll look at that in a moment out of that section of the road to Emmaus. But most of all, we want to bring our hearts to a place where we're open and ready for God to speak to us. How important that is. It's a long time from now till Christmas again. Our little great-granddaughter asked the question just after Christmas, when is the next Christmas, she asked. And we said, oh, it's a long ways off. And she began to get her face all out of shape, and that little lower lip stuck out a little ways and quivered a little bit. Do we have to wait, she says. Do we have to wait? So we face a whole new year now with all of its opportunities and all of its challenges and some of its tragedies as well and we do that because we need him every hour with a gladness and an assurance there's something special about god's presence and so we invite you to look with us this morning to that scripture that we have for you In the 24th division of the Gospel of Luke, it's the road to Emmaus story. Let us stand together for the reading of God's Word. Beginning with the 13th verse of the 24th chapter of the Gospel by Luke. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which is from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holding they would not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that you have one, another, one to another as you walk and are sad?" And one of them, whose name was Leopas, answered, saying to him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which have come to pass there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. And we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside this, today is the third day since these things were done. Father, in these moments we would ask that you come among us Hide us behind the cross, these who are here today. And help us to sense and know that all things do work together for good to those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And so we look to this year and these days ahead of us with anticipation and joy that you will be with us. So grant to us in these moments as well the moving of your spirit, the entreaty of your love, And help us to make those kinds of decisions which you may press upon us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a story of bewildered men. They uh, had gone through those experiences with Jesus. They had listened to his preaching and they had sat as he taught them. They had learned, they thought, the truths of the kingdom But the events of the last week had shattered all of those hopes and brought them all but to their knees in bewilderment. Their hopes were in disarray. The master was gone. And with his going, their world now, a disheveled one out of sorts and unfitting, left them unguided and wondering what to do, what would they do now that he is gone? What would they do now that he was not there to lead them anymore? What would they say to people who asked them questions about this that they had followed with faithfulness and fidelity over those last three years? What would they do now that he was gone? And so they walked together to Emmaus, just a village not very far away, six or seven miles from Jerusalem. And on their way, they were talking one to each other about these events, and a stranger joined them as they walked. And they began to ask questions why they seemed so sad. And, well, they said, are you a stranger here? Do you not know what has happened? Are you not aware of those events that have passed in this last week or so? And he said, what events? And they said, "What well, Jesus of Nazareth. They took him by force and crucified him. Notice as we look at these scriptures that we find here in the 21st verse. But we trusted. We believed, he is saying. We trusted that it would be he who would redeem Israel. But it's been three days now since he died. It's not uncommon for people who have high hopes to have them dashed. Our mortal walk is one of constant renewing and understanding and contemplation as well as sadness and disappointment. You don't have to live very long in this world to find out that all things do not always work well. That the best played plans of mice and men, as the poet said, off go astray and another who said that there's many a slip from the plate to the lip a lot of things happen not just saucer's way of saying it but the reality of now things don't always work like we want them to or as we planned and they had made their hopes and their dreams upon a shaky foundation of misunderstanding for well, they thought this would be he who would restore Israel. And we trusted, the King James said. That word really says that. And we were convinced in our hearts. We were convinced. And now it's been three days. They thought back about those events of what they thought would have happened and And all he had taught them and all he had done, they had followed him in faithfulness. They listened to him preach. They had watched him as he had fed the 5,000. He had healed a woman with an issue of blood. he had made eyes for a young man who had never seen. Now he was gone. And in his passing their world collapsed. Somewhat like today, it's not difficult to find folks who are negative on our world. Deliver me from negative people, but there are so many of them that it's, they're hard to evade, you know. They're everywhere. These times in our world, in our country, in our state, in our county, in our church, and anything else you want to talk about. We woke up this morning Uh, to a drizzling rain. You noticed that, didn't you? Crowds are a little sparse. That includes Baptists. We we seem very much afraid of water. (laughs) There was one man in the church that was always negative about everything that went on, Sunday school, offerings, the heat and the coolness or whatever was needed and he couldn't quite come to grips with the reality that things weren't worse every day and he he sort of reveled in that and the pastor tried to cheer him up from time to time and one Sunday morning just as they were beginning morning worship out, in, outside the people were coming and he this man was there and the pastor looked around out and saw the sun shining and said to him what a lovely beautiful day today is the sun is out, and it's, it's calm, and it's nice today. And this man who chaired the cold water committee of the church <laughs> said, yes, but it's raining somewhere. <laughs> and so we face our world this coming year, a whole year. It's a long ways to Christmas. Little Annie said, is it so far away? Disappointment, you see. And we face this coming year with all sort of misunderstanding about what it was. Have our plans been made like those disciples made those we thought, we trusted, we were convinced that he would be the one that would restore the greatness of Israel, the Davidic kingdom, the grandeur of that kingdom, the renewal of concentration of their thoughts and hope and prayers to a single God and a single kingdom and the exclusiveness of a selected and chosen people. Someone who would overthrow the tyranny of Rome, release them from the bondage of that government that occupied their land. It would be a long year, for now he was gone. No wonder. No wonder they were sad as they walked on the way to Emmaus that day, for they had not made preparation. They had not made preparation for what was going to happen. You'll pardon me for a little sore throat this morning. Oh, this is size tea glass, in case you're wondering. (laughs) It may be a long morning. But they had followed him, you see. But they had made their plans with the wrong premise. Those events that had brought them to realize that this was somebody special and they cast their lot with him and were willing to follow him and now he was gone. Those events that had come with some a great little haste, and they did not understand it. That biased group of men that made up the Sanhedrin and that tribunal had acquiesced to his death, and Pilate, in a cataclysmic decision, had decided he should die. But he joined them, and as he joined them, they began to say what had happened to them. And the Scripture tells us that he began to talk about all of that and explain some of that scripture that they had, which is all that we know of, that they call the Old Testament. They had that, of course, and and they had read it and studied it as Jesus had led them to do so. And now this stranger that attached themselves to their journey explained it again. And they said later, our hearts did burn within us as He walked with us. But they had made their hopes and based their future on a misguided expectation. What they expected was the restoration of the Davidic kingdom and the, mostly, I suppose, the restoration of their importance as a chosen and selected people, how misunderstood they were and how misunderstood we are today to think just because we uh, follow the banner of the cross that we ought to have some special kind of treatment by society, that the world out there ought to bow and scrape to us and our pride brings us to that. We want the restoration of those days when the church did have clout in our society I remember back as a pastor of a large church when it began in our community and they decided they'd have high school basketball games on Wednesday night. Well, our church rose up and, along with others in the association and those within the, and outside the association. And they petitioned the school board to change that. And they said, no, that day is over. But we fight and struggle and organize to change that world to recognize us for our importance. That's pride. That's pride. There's a great deal said these days about taking our country back. Our country's not coming back. Realize that. Be a realist in the world that we're around. It's not coming back. Unless the scripture's wrong. Because the scripture tells us that things will not get better in the last days, they will wax worse. But they wanted it back, they wanted that place of importance. And they wanted to be recognized. It's interesting to me that Paul, who was the, uh, the architect of the church, you see, and what we have on church structure is all Pauline. Jesus did not tell us about anything about having deacons or elders or or how we're supposed to function and, and do those kinds of things. Paul did that for us under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But not once in those writings that he gives, does he ever mention the church rising up trying to change its government or change its world politically? Not once does it say anything about taking a stand against slavery or all of those things. It's not interesting. I find it somewhat difficult to understand, but he doesn't do that. But he does prompt them to witness, to win people to Christ every day and, and bring them to understand that this God that walked among us, this God that walked among us, they didn't understand that. We go to uh, pastors' conferences and state conventions and Southern Baptist conventions, and we get together with other pastors from time to time, and we talk about the churches where we serve, and, and we brag about it. But you know what we brag about? We brag about numbers. We brag about attendance. We brag about the size of the budget. How many pastors are on staff? Bought a new bus, you see. Gave a great deal for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And they asked the questions of, the, of us, how's your church doing? How's, how's your Sunday school doing? How, what about worship? Well, we have two worship services now because we can't get them all in our sanctuary for one. But they never asked how many folks were baptized last year. Do you have any idea how many folks were baptized at Pitts Baptist Church last year? Anybody? Anybody? Where's my staff man? You don't know either. (laughs) Let me get him off the hook. I don't know either. (laughs) And you know why? Why? Because we don't count that measurement very important. We're involved in other things. We're involved in trying to look good in the community. We're interested and in, very concerned about our image and how we look. Because that might reduce the number of folks who come. Well, we're in our outreach and our prospecting, we uh, <laughs> We talk about good prospects. Those are folks just like us. Same color, same language, same levels in society, same educational level. Folks just like us. And if they uh, uh, have been members of another church and were active there and were tithers, that really counts. <laughs> These are good prospects. But it seems to me, if I, unless I miss the reading of the scripture, that, that every person who does not know him, every person who does not, has not yet found that experience of grace that alters and changes and renovates life, is a good prospect. And I don't need to ask for amens to buttress my position. We are about the wrong things so often. And their hopes were built on, on the premise of the wrong expectations. But there's more to it than that, you see. The times that they had offered them just as much opportunity for witnessing as any other time. Oh, they say the times are tough these days, pastor do? Are you not aware of how difficult it is in our world to to give your testimony? No, I'm not aware of that. Because the opportunities are there if we win them. But we measure things wrong because we have the wrong measurements. As we've already mentioned, those misguided priorities, what we're after and what we're seeking, are distant from that need of a lost world. And it says, if we go on a little further there, in the 31st verse, and they said one to another, this is after Jesus had been talking with them as they walked along, explaining the scriptures. And now, It said that, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened the Scriptures. Their eyes were open; They finally got it. Now, that's not a good word to use in the English language. I remember as I was going through the process of of uh, earning that that major in English in college that our professor or one of them said it would be best if we could just drop that word we don't need to ever use it got it means to have and we would do better to use it but they finally got it that's the language of our time and we understand they finally understood at least what he had meant to say all along they finally got it. At last they understand, understood what had been saying, that they would take the opportunities of their day, of that hour, and would use them. I was pastor of Bavard First Baptist Church years ago, a large, fine, wonderful church with gracious and lovely people who were better to me than I ever deserved. But I had a deacon by the name of Conley Bradley. Well, Conley was one of those special kind of folks that you could trust him for anything you wanted to do. And you could ask him in the middle of the night to go with you on a a call, and he would roll out of bed and come with you. He went on mission trips with us. He was one of the finest men I've ever known. But Conley made fun of himself all the time. You see, Conley stuttered, not just a little bit. Conley stuttered badly. And when he witnessed, he stuttered graciously. But he stuttered. And he used, we took him on trips with us, and he was one of the most enjoyable people to be around. And he told a story about folks who stutter, and I, I will use that this morning not in any way to look down on folks who have some impediment or some, something that doesn't quite function. I've been there too. I am there. So I'm not making fun of anybody. But Conley told a story about it. in college days, uh, they sold Bibles to work their way through college during the summertime. And they had one person in, on, uh, that was a part of the selling group and team that invariably outsold everybody. He sold two or three times more than anybody else on the teams. And when the reports were in, this fellow always sold more. And so the regional manager decided they'd have a workshop and have this fellow lead that workshop and tell everybody just what they were, what he was doing. That was so successful, and so they did. Conley told the story. Said he, when they introduced him to, now tell us, they said, what is it? What's your secret of success in sales? And said he got up and he said, well, well, this is this is what I do. Said so i go go up and knock and knock on a door, and when the man comes to the door, I ask him, "Did you do you want to buy a Bible, or do you do you want me to read it to you?" Seize the moment with the opportunities that you have. (laughs) This is what he's saying, it seems to me. Seize those opportunities that are there for us now and let us do that which we can do well. We would make a mistake to think that the world's going to just roll over and play dead for us. Use our opportunities that we have now, those that are surfacing every day, every moment. It may be a long time to next Christmas, as Annie said, but there's a lot of things we can do between now and next Christmas. A lot of things. Those things about which we're most proud of, Pitts Baptist Church, we don't want to stop that at all. We want our attendance to stay there. We want our income to continue to rise. We want to be doing all of those things, but there are other things as well that we're good at. A lot of things that we're good at. We have a superior children's program. Nobody in our association could touch it. We do far better, I think, by my evaluation at all. Our youth program outshines. We have a superior pastor who preaches very well. Sometimes a little longer than other times, but (laughs) we have some things to be proud of. We'll put our music program and our leadership in music against anybody or anywhere around. I won't say anything about senior adults. We don't plan on being here too much longer anyway. (laughs) But we got a heap of them. They're everywhere, and we're active, and we're doing things, and we're participating in kingdom work all around and everywhere. And we've got big plans for this year. It's a long time between now and Christmas, so we have some things we're wanting to do. And we measure our success not by all of that, but we measure our success by our commitment and the utilization of those opportunities. And those tools that are available to us now. It seems to me that's important. Available just right now. We can even ask the question how many baptisms last year? You may want to look that up this week if they've got a record of it. It'd be on the church letter, I suppose. But how are we doing? Well, we're doing good on some things. You see, we don't measure some of the things that churches do effectively and well. And I wanna commend our church and those of you who labor in Sunday school and those of you who sing in the choir and those of you who participate in the youth leadership and yes, even you senior adults that limp around and finally get to the meetings a little bit late, but you're always there. You see, we don't measure those long hours that our pastor puts in with family counseling. We have no place to put that on the book of records. We don't do the measurements of those times when Molly and Kevin sit with those young boys and girls making those definitive kind of decisions that will change and alter their lives for the rest of their living. We don't measure the time that Jonathan puts in with his precious wife in preparing to lead us in praise and worship. We don't measure all of that. You see, there's no place to put it down. There's not a square on on the book of record for us to jot or check. We need to take those opportunities that are available to us just now, today. These may be the hardest of times for some, but they're still the best of times for us to reach out. And I'd like to join Conley Bradley in inviting you to participate. Focus on those things that are successful. Successful get our eyes away from those moments and thoughts that we want to be great again, that we want to have a place of center stage, but instead move our hearts and lives along the path to Emmaus. Wide-eyed and expectant, they arrived to meet the others. Would you join us now in prayer? Father, in these moments now, we come to the time of invitation and there are those who need to make that decision this morning. There are those who need to be prompted to say yes. Would you do that, Lord? Help us somehow to understand that during this time of invitation. Help us as well to know that no better time will come than now. We need not prolong that. We need not wait until some later time when it's more convenient. No better time comes than this, the first Sunday of the year 2014. No better time now than now to make those decisions with an eternal dimension to them. No better time than now to say yes to the entreaty of your spirit would you help us? Help us, Lord, to do that now. In Jesus' name, amen.